You're listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. To learn more about us, visit covbap.org. Now, today's sermon. In the reading of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, If Christ hasn't resurrected, and we only have hope in this life for the most to be pitied. We have hope for eternal life, but also in that verse is we have hope in this life. It's not just a future glory, it's also a present peace. In Luke 2, in the narrative of Jesus' birth, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. We count as that group of all people. And all people, uh, there's three things going on with all people. There's a struggle with purpose and identity. There's suffering in this life. And all people are sinners. So an identity problem, a suffering problem, and a sin problem. So what does Emmanuel, God with us, do to impact all three of those areas for us as believers in this life? What does that hope that Christ brings look like for us in this life? We heard a beautiful sermon this morning on all of the gospel and God with us and what that means for us. And this morning or this evening in this short meditation, I want to focus on the hope that we have presently because God became a man. So let's think about that first thing, identity. You are saints. You are saints. So what does the incarnation of God, the Son, mean for us as saints? Well, Jesus is the ultimate saint. Jesus is the ultimate saint. He is the Son of God, beloved by the Father. In Matthew Matthew chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, The father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter, later on in Jesus' life, says, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And on the transfiguration, the father again, we have the law. We have the prophets and Jesus, the son of God in the middle. And the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, the ultimate saint, is pleasing to his Father and beloved by the Father. Now, we heard this morning, Israel couldn't live out that full identity as a child of God. David couldn't faithfully live out his identity as a child of God. You and I do not live completely and faithfully as a child of God. But there was one who has Jesus was the faithful son that Adam could never be. He was the faithful son that Israel could never be, that David could never be, and that you and I could never be on our own merits. He's the king, Jesus is, who ushers in the Father's kingdom. And here's the beautiful part for us. This evening, you can, but you can, you can bet all of your cards on this. This beloved son of God who pleases the father, who has earned his rightful place in that kingdom, shares it with his brothers and sisters. Hebrews 2.10, 
He brings many sons to glory. So what does this mean for your experience? What does this mean for my experience as a saint? Jesus' identity is our identity. This is beautiful. Jesus' identity is your identity. An ever-loved child of God, fully pleasing to the Father, is what you are in Christ Jesus. It's not just the title, saint. It is your position. It is, a, it is a family identity that you've been given. You could never earn. The Father gave it to you because Christ earned it on your behalf. And along with this, you have a new heart. You have a new heart that Jesus gave you. And here's the thing about that heart. The law says, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. You know who's done that? Jesus has. And you know he has given us that very heart. You now have a heart that loves God with all of your being. That is a gift from Jesus, the ultimate saint. And that's why you can find hope in being a saint presently, that you have a new heart, a heart that's been reborn, and it's a heart where Jesus resides, and he rules and he reigns. So that's number one. What does the incarnation mean for us as saints? So here's the thing, though. At least two things make living from that new heart, that heart that Jesus gave us, very hard. Suffering and our own sin. It's real hard to think all that's true because of the suffering that we face and the internal war that is just always waging. And so what does the incarnation of Jesus mean for us as sufferers, as sufferers in this life? Well, Jesus embodies the experience, the full experience of a sufferer. We heard this morning how all of history, every bit of reality is penultimately coming to the suffering of Jesus Christ on behalf of God's children. His whole life was suffering. Jesus' entire life was suffering. And here's how. Number one, Philippians 2 Jesus emptied himself of all of his glory and majesty and humbled himself, putting on flesh. Living a life, Jesus did, setting his glory aside, that is already an amount of humbling that none of us really understand. God setting aside glory to put on our flesh. But in Hebrews 5, it also says that Jesus learned obedience through what? He suffered. Suffering was not just in his death. His entire life was one of suffering. Now, he did not have internal passions or internal sinful passions, but he faced the temptation of Satan himself directly, and he never turned away from the Father's face. So what does Jesus, I know that's a brief explanation of his suffering, and read Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering servant is a title of God the Son. Think about this. So what does this mean for our experience? What does Jesus embodying the full experience of a sufferer and suffering himself mean for you? Well, on the one hand, let's, let's look at the fact that suffering invades every nook and cranny of our lives. In addition to life-altering trials that happen to our lives or to our loved ones, 
There are just the daily inconveniences and disappointments of living in a fallen world. So on top of the catastrophic sufferings that happen, almost every moment is just a frustration and disappointment, this side of glory. But the gospel says that in the midst of our struggles, God wants to be with us. This is what Emmanuel is teaching us in our suffering. The suffering of God's people is also front and center of the Bible. What is the work of Christ coming to do? Put an end to all suffering. Wipe away every tear. Crush every doubt. And bring hope to sight. The suffering of God's people is the front and center of God's word. Groaning until glory is an accurate description of the Christian life. And so, that groaning, albeit true, groaning now and then glory, that groaning doesn't come without joy. What do I mean? Does that mean I'm going to be happy about my groaning? That's not what I mean. Here's what I mean. As you suffer in this life, I want to ask you a question. How do you feel that God feels about you? Do you think he's frustrated with you? Do you think he's so upset with all of your emotional states and your frustrations in life and the things that you've been through and the things that have happened to you and the shame that you feel? Is God someone who's mad at you for all of the suffering that you've experienced in life? Or is he one who puts on flesh and gets in it with you? The suffering servant shows us what God feels about us as saints who suffer this side of glory. Jesus is the suffering servant. And so as we suffer, here's what we can know, that there's a God who's with us, who knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to suffer, and he's with you in the suffering. Do you know that Jesus is with you in your suffering? Do you know that he knows what it feels like to suffer? Well, what prevents you maybe from thinking that Jesus is with you in your suffering. Maybe we stay so busy in our heads that we don't stop to think that maybe God is with us. Maybe we're so consumed by the pain of our past or we're so consumed by what's going to happen in the future that we miss the Lord with us now. Helping us deal with what's happened in the past. Helping us see a different future. God does want us to keep the past in the past, but oftentimes we are living from our hurts, looking over the hurts. We're looking over our hurts when the Lord's like, we can go deal with that stuff together so that it doesn't rule your life. This is also what it means to have a God who is with us, who knows what it's like to suffering, so that we can live from the heart that Jesus gave us instead of living from our hurts and our wounds. So, We don't avoid our past. We embrace it. We don't avoid our suffering. We embrace it with a Savior who suffers so that it actually can be put in the past, so that we're not ruled by our passions and desires in the midst of our suffering, so that we can live from the heart Jesus gave us. So the incarnation means something for us as we think about being saints, means something for us as we think about being sufferers, And maybe finally, and maybe most comforting sometimes, what does the incarnation mean for us as sinners? Well, Jesus is the sinless one who became sin for us. 
Hebrews 2 said that he was made like us in every respect, but he did not participate in our sinful nature. Hebrews 7, that he was a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. No need to offer sacrifices for himself as the high priest appointed in the time of the law. But God has appointed his son who has been made perfect forever. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The sinless one became the archetypal sinner and was crushed for our sin. So what does this mean for our experience? We have been cleansed forever. We have been cleansed forever, and so what do we do? We live in that reality. So if you knew that your sins were cleansed forever, what would you do with your current sin? There's no need to hide it from God. He's the one who knows it all and has crushed it in his son. And so 1 John 1, 9, we confess it. Because he's faithful and just to forgive it. And we live in the light. 1 John 15, 9, 11. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. You can think about that for the next week. How much love do you think is in God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit? This Trinitarian love. God is love. Think about how much love that is. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. He says, remain in that love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments uh, and abide in his love. Now, when we hear that, all of us think, I knew it. I knew that this, uh, you said all this, it was really good, and now I know that I got to keep the law in order to actually know that he loves me. That's not what he says. He says, I've brought you from darkness to life. I have loved you with the same love the Father has for me. I have pulled you out of disobedience. I have crushed all of your sins. I have given you a new identity. Remain in my love. If I told you that the way that you were living your life was going to take you to death, but I changed that and now you're on the path to life, are you going to run to death? Jesus says, keep my commandments. Remain in my love. This is discipline in the life of the church. When we leave God's love, we lead to disobedience. And what we're saying is come back to God's love where we live in the light, and where we enjoy obedience. So even as sinners, our sin has been cleansed, but the Lord Jesus has empowered us to live in his love and live in his light, not ignoring our sin, but enjoying obedience. So as we conclude this time, you have been given a heart, a heart that loves the Father with everything possible. Jesus lived it, and he's given you that heart. He's a suffering servant, and you don't suffer alone. Suffer with a God who knows you, who knows suffering. Your sin has been crushed, and you've been brought from death into life. And one day, we won't have to fight to live as if all these things are true. One day, the only thing that's going to be true, the only thing that we'll know is God's love and goodness and mercy to us. 
Joy will be our experience. We heard it this morning. We won't have to fight for it. And for that day, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.